Welcome to The Vine Time with Melanie Boldock. Today, I have my guest, Jonas Warner from Freeport, Maine. Good morning, Jonas. Good morning, Melanie. Great to see you. Great to see you, too. And how are you doing today? Fantastic. Another beautiful day in paradise. Right. And I heard you guys had some trouble up there yesterday in Yarmouth. It was uh, unfortunate. Very sad. Very Um, sad. I don't know that anyone anywhere in the country is immune to... um, Gun to the crazy things going on, yeah, the gun mm-hmm. violence. It started yeah. out just north of here in Bowdoin. They ended up uh, cruising down here after that, and the highway was closed most of the afternoon. I had friends who were stuck in the in the traffic. Oh okay. yeah, it it tried yeah. to make me late to an appointment, but it couldn't. Right, it's great when you can take the side roads. That's the great thing about Maine. There's the highway. Love there's that. always the back roads. That's right, bushwhacking. That's my favorite. That's it, exactly. And so, are you from Maine? No, I got here as quick as I could though. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I started vacationing here in Maine about, uh, oh, I guess when I was about 15 and I came up in the summers. And then uh, when I was in college uh, in Florida where I grew up, I just longed to be back here. The summers here are obviously the most beautiful in the world. And so I started coming up in the summer um, to work up in Camden. And uh, that's where I Got my first introduction to great wine and food. And, um, and then I just got hooked a couple more years down in Florida. And by the time I was 21, I had had enough of the, the crazy life. I didn't want to be on the news as Florida man does this. Right. And so I yeah. came up to Maine. Been here where, ever since. Where in Florida were you? Uh, born in Miami, grew up, nice. uh, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, suburbs, Fort Lauderdale. I have family who live there now. So I've been, I've only been to Florida twice, but the two places I've been were Orlando and Fort Lauderdale and Key West are three places. So, nice. yeah, yeah. Well, welcome. I mean, you're a Mainer. You're, you, you're a, you're a Mainer oh, now, no. which is great. I, yeah. I, I don't think I would ever say that. Really? Uh, in fact, well, I met some Mainers once who asked me if I thought I was a Mainer. I said, absolutely not. They asked oh. me if I had kids and I said, absolutely. They were born here. Yeah. And he said, do you think they're Mainers? I said, yes, they're manners. He said, no, they're not. I said, what do you mean? He said, just because a cat has a kittens in the oven, don't make them biscuits. <laughs> well, there you go. That's mean for you. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful, um, hospitable place. And then sometimes it's a, you know, a closed place. So it's, it's got the, the best of both worlds, I suppose, but, uh, we love it here. I'm from here originally, but I've lived everywhere. So, um, I consider myself a Mainer, but when I do come back, it's like I have the essence of an outsider. So it takes me a couple of years before people can trust me again. They're like, okay, you're all right. <laughs> it's kind yeah, of like the slow groove. Yeah, exactly. So uh, tell me about you and your journey here in Maine in food and wine. Well, Camden in the, uh, in the late 80s and early 90s um, was just a hopping place. Uh, it's still, it's still sure pretty is. wild. But um, and certainly not as wild as it was at the turn of the century in 1900, but but still a fun place to be. And I ended up working at a small uh, bed and breakfast that had just the most amazing food. Uh, The owner uh, was also the chef and he also had a chef that came in every year from London to work with him. And that was my first foray into really fine food and fine wine. They had a fantastic cellar. And uh, after working there a couple of weeks, one of their customers uh, took a shine to me and hired me at the wine emporium 
up there in Camden. And that was started originally by the gentleman that um, started Brown Trading Company. Oh, Rod, Rod Brown. Rod Brown, exactly. He'll be on here soon, hopefully, when he gets back from Florida. Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But that was when I first started to learn that when you combine the right wine with the right food, something unique happens. Magic. Absolutely. Yeah, something inexplicable. Yep. And um, and once you have that experience, I think, you know, like many other great experiences in life, you spend a lot of time the rest of your life trying to find and recreate that experience. And you never know where you're going to be, what sure. you're going to be eating, what you're going to be drinking when it happens. But and it's in it the happens. least expected place, too. My my experience like that happened in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, funny enough. So it's always in a place that you don't expect it. You know, you go to a Michelin star chef and you don't have that experience and you go to this hole in the wall and right. have the experience. That's a, the joy of Anthony Bourdain. He was always seeking out that place, you know. So Absolutely. so you, you came to Maine and um, – You've been here for quite some time, and what? And in your time here, you owned a restaurant for a while. I did. My wife and I started and ran a restaurant for eighteen years here in Freeport called Azure. Okay. And how was the experience? Um, it's a lot like I imagined. Um, you know, Jews went through during the Inquisition. Um, it was tough. Yeah. Uh, you know, on its worst days. Right. But but really, if you are a restaurant person, uh, every day is awesome of course. and fun and exciting. Yeah. And, if it's and what you want to do. I loved sure. it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it was a childhood dream. Yeah, of course. And you used to do wine dinners. I mean, I, I always remember you having such a strong. So when I moved back from Dublin, I had been selling Italian wine and I just come back from visiting Italy and this, that and the other. And so I, I, you had a really strong Italian list that I was, you know, I was really impressed by. So, um, yeah, we, we went, uh, we went deep and wide mm-hmm. with, with our list. Um, I think at the time there weren't many restaurants that weren't considered five star that were actually buying and storing wine. And so one of the things we did there that made us a little different was we would buy great vintages and then hold them until right. they were ready to be consumed. Um, right. Sometimes seeking out older vintages and getting them up here as well. Sure. I remember when I first got back, someone said, wow, you're qualified to be a sommelier, but there's really no restaurant in Maine right now who needs a sommelier. Now it's totally different. Now the sommelier is all over the city. But at that time, someone was like, you know, there really isn't a place to for you, really, unless you work at the White Barn Inn or and they have one or, or places of that stature, if that makes sense. So it's really amazing. And it, it's hard when you do wine events to kind of build a clientele, too. I mean, in Freeport, you know, it's kind of a it's a little bit of a bedroom community. You know, but there are some people there who spend money. So it's just about finding those people and getting them to come every week and the social media that follows and all that sort of thing. I think for for our patrons, uh, what really did it was the overall experience. Of course. Um, it's a beautiful the, space, too. Yeah. And, and, and we put a lot of effort. I put a lot of effort into presenting wine in the context of where it came from. Mm-hmm. So I would take a historical perspective to where the wine was created and who those people were and what they were doing sure. um, and also the history of their, their cuisine. So I tried to combine the, the history, the history of the cuisine, the history of the people all together in right. one presentation. That's amazing. So 
it, it was great. It was extremely successful. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a waiting list for every wine dinner, mm-hmm. um, but it seemed like the same people coming back every month. Uh, they That's just good, waited, though. waiting yeah. for the next one. And then they'd have to wait all summer till the next winter for the next one. Sure. Uh, but we had a really great following. That's amazing. And so what was your favorite wine? I mean, if you can pick one, I know there's so many really good wines out there, but. My favorite wine from the wine dinners or in general? In in general. I think the one I'm really still hot for right now is the Royal City Syrah from K Vintners. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you Very had good. that? Not yet. No. The the label is just so choice with a giant black crown on it. Um, nice. But what's inside the bottle is just so awesome. Amazing. And what was your favorite wine from the dinners? Oh, you know, oddly, I can't name one wine from this particular wine dinner because they were all so fantastic. But on one occasion, we ventured outside of Italy and we did a South African wine dinner. Nice. And there are some vineyards there that are a couple hundred years old. They've Mm -hmm. been making wine for a long time. There's some uh, a winemaker there that uh, used to make beverages for people like Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Um, and the wines that came out of South Africa were just superb. There are some spectacular wines from South Africa. It's really difficult. I've been in the business of helping brands get here, you know, that sort of thing. I worked for as con- during consultancy for quite some time. And it's difficult to get the wine here. This is what I've been told by many people who have importers who are like, we really like the South African wines, but it's it's inconsistent. It's hard to get them here, this, that, and the other. So when you do get them, and who who was the distributor that was selling those wines? Don't recall. Okay, yeah. It's, it's, they're few it was, and far it was, between. I had to cobble it. Yeah, I had to cobble it together. Right. I didn't work with one distributor of for course. most of the wine dinners mm-hmm. um, because – if you work with one distributor, you can be limited to what you can show people. And oh, I course. really wanted to be able to show them the the wine that was most representative of the, the of the area. Mm-hmm. And so that often involved having to um, go outside of the distributor or, you know, occasionally I will admit that I went out of state to bring some stuff in that just I thought I felt needed to be there and represented. Sure. Of course. Uh, South Africa was, was the same. And I, I think, you know, that probably stemmed from during the time of apartheid um, when the um, United States was not importing South African wine. Sure. And so once apartheid fell, all that distribution network then had to be set up. And rebuilt, really. Yeah. And um, so what is your, uh, we were talking recently about Mafka. So for those who don't who don't know who Mafka is, it's the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Union. They're based here in Maine. They host this fantastic fair every fall called the Common Ground Fair, uh, which has been going on for years and years and years. And we've both have been big fans of. And um, so, you know, we were talking recently about organics and what is your uh, take on organics and wine? Well, I mean, there's always been a lot of talk about organics and wine and how they may or may not impact uh, the flavor mm-hmm. um, and the wine experience. We have a really great uh, importer here in Maine, Paul Chartrand. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he's Chartrand wonderful. Imports. I've and done events with him. He's a great guy. Yeah, he's fantastic. And mm-hmm. I first met him back working at the Wine Emporium, actually. Wow, in the late eighties. He's from that area, isn't he? He's yeah. from Mid Coast. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was my first foray into organic wine, but. Um, 
my feeling is that the, you know, a great winemaker is a great winemaker, regardless of whether or not he's using pesticides or herbicides. And um, I found lots of delicious stuff, albeit a long time ago, none of them have made it onto my regulars list. Yeah. Um, I, I found them to be indistinguishable and delicious. Of course. So you would rate the wine according to the wine and not the process. Does that make sense? Yeah, because yeah. Okay. I was really all about the flavor and the experience. Of course. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. And, you know, there's there's a huge debate. When I first started talking about organic wine, I, the woman I studied under was like, you know, there's no difference in flavor of the organics wine. But then you talk to winemakers and, and growers who are like, there's an enormous difference in the quality of fruit that we grow. That's biodynamic, organic, sustainable, as opposed to the fruit we were growing when we were spraying. So, so, you know, you have, you have a debate on both sides, but it's just interesting to hear everybody else's take. If that makes sense. I, I, I would be willing to bet that there is a difference. Oh, absolutely. Um, there certainly is. It's been proven over and over again. Yeah. One of the people that I'm a really huge fan of is a guy named Hugh Courtney, who's based in, uh, there's a Josephine Potter Institute, which is in uh, North Carolina, and it's the Biodynamic Institute. So um, they basically take all the teachings from Steiner and this, that, and the other. And he, Hugh Courtney, is one of the people who consults with a lot of the winemakers in California and everywhere, really, but everywhere in the U.S. who are growing biodynamically. So they they are the the people, if that makes sense. But um, I, I don't know. It's just, it's my opinion, but it's it's always interesting for me to hear everybody else's opinion because I would taste the wine too. But I, the way I look at it is if you are responsibly producing wine, and that means it doesn't have to be organic. It doesn't have to be biodynamic, but you have to make an effort to spray as minimal as possible. So you're not like a big champagne house polluting the groundwater with pesticides to keep your yields high. You know what I'm saying? You're a small grower yeah. that's making sure that, you know, if I, I have a friend who's an organic grower in, in Champagne and he sprays his, um, other lots around him. Cause you know, all those, those lots are on hills, right? So he doesn't want pesticides to come into his garden that's in, in the lot above him. So he actually pays for and sprays his, his neighboring, um, farmers lots so that the pesticides don't come into his, uh, vineyards it's amazing yeah yeah runoff is uh right. you know from everywhere right right so if you're you you can be doing a great job but if your neighbors are not pitching in as well it can right. definitely impact you right and so getting back to mafka weren't you doing something with mafka you're going to be doing something soon or maybe maybe not we're talking about it we're yeah we're working okay. on some programs here in freeport um about um Invasive species, local species that are that are healthy for the bee population. Sure, uh, we'll be talking about uh, the best varietals to uh, for food production here in Maine. How to how to store that food. Working with the University of Maine on that. Okay, should be a good good series here. You mean wine varietals? Is that correct? Food varietals. Oh, food varietals. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, like, what's the best tomato to grow in Maine? Okay. That, sure. that type of question. Right. Because, you know, there's a lot of tomatoes out there. Sure. It's hard to get them to grow to their, their true expression, right? Just like a grape. Each grape maybe has a certain area where it has its most full expression. Sure. 
I want to know what that tomato varietal is. <laughs> well, they had a seed sharing recently. So they have, they have, if anybody wants to check out the Mofco website, they're quite amazing. Um, but they, they had a seed sharing earlier, um, recently. So people can come and buy seeds and whatnot. So they're always kind of out there working on those things, which I think is fantastic. And it's definitely a worthwhile charity to support. Um, so, you know, what do you love? I love standing very still in my, my backyard and yeah. watching nature happen. I also, I also love this, this cat. That, oh, that trying to get into the, the picture. What's the cat's yeah, name? Absolutely. This is Percules Mulligan. Wow. That's a yes. name. <laughs> I, well, he's, he's a cat. I mean, yeah. He, he deserves something regal. Right. Sounding. I love it. Um, but uh, I, I think I love living simply. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything that, that has really driven that home, it, it's what we've gone through during COVID. I know. It's true. Just, just living just, small. That's what my friend yeah. said the other day. I'm just living really small in the sense of just cherishing every moment. And it's funny because I've had a lot of reflection this month because I have a lot of time off. And in that time, I've just learned to appreciate every single thing that's around me. You know, uh, but I, I completely understand that because we, you know, this world that we live in is so chaotic. I mean, look what happened in, in Yarmouth yesterday. And we sometimes we take those little moments for granted and we don't want to do yeah. that. Yeah. Living it, gratitude. It, it made it. It made it very easy to sure. to, to learn to live simply uh, COVID. I mean, just something as as easy as going to the store to get food pre-COVID. Sure. You could go to the store and basically buy anything you wanted or needed. And during COVID, you had to learn, at least in the beginning, when, when supply right. chains were disrupted, you needed to learn to be happy with the things you could get. Right. And right. so I, cooking I remember, that dish right. with some other food that you've never <laughs> used before became commonplace and you were happy to try it. Yeah, that's it. Remember, it was out of, we were out of butter, out of milk, you know. But I, I really think... It, beautiful things came out of COVID. And I, I know that's, that's a strange thing to say, but I think that people learn to come together. I remember one of my very best friends, I was looking for yeast because remember no one can find yeast to raise, make bread and no one can get bread. So every, it was like a yeast, you know, ration. And I remember my friend giving me her last packet of yeast. And I thought in my head, God, she's such a good friend. Cause if the world ends tomorrow, I've got her packet of yeast. <laughs> How kind of her. But, you know, that's what I mean. Like this, the kindness of humans came out of this horrible, horrible time. Um, and I think that I, I just try to always see the best in it. And I prayed for the best when it was happening every single night. Yeah. Um, but getting back to wine, because we're here to talk mm. a little bit about wine and food. Uh, let's talk about restaurants. You know, have you have you been to a really fantastic restaurant that knocked your socks off recently or? I would have to say no. No, I have You're cooking more at home. Well, you know, running a restaurant, right? Owning and running a restaurant, if you are really involved as I was, it doesn't afford much time for cooking, and that was a big life change for for my wife and I because I think one of the reasons she fell in love with me and wanted to spend her life with me is because I could cook for her. Mm-hmm. And we started a restaurant and I, I almost never cooked. I, I, I came home every night for dinner, but usually I would have, uh, one of our chefs cook for us. Right. And um, now you can cook, which is great. Now we closed the restaurant 10 days later, the country shut down for COVID. 
And um, there I was in my kitchen for the first time in 18 years, every day. Yeah. Um, so I've been really getting into cooking again and just enjoying it. Um, last night, I made um, some pappardelle. Mm -hmm. And then we had that with, um, I made a carbonara nice. with uh, oh, bacon and crab. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Bacon and crab carbonara with, with fresh popper dough. And it was just it's fantastic. Uh, it was one of the best meals I've had. Right? And what would you pair that with? What kind of wine would you pair that with? Oh, let's see. I didn't actually have wine. I had a, I had a peeper. <laughs> there you go. I had a peeper. A main peeper. A, a main, yeah. main beer. But, but that dish was, was so good. I, I would think that that would have been super good with uh, either a vernaccia from mm -hmm. like San Gimignano. I love vernaccia. And if you wanted something a little more buttery to complement it, I definitely would have gone with something French, Chablis maybe. Right. Chardonnay, something for sure. A little richer. Yeah. I actually did an episode on Maine crab meat with Alsatian wines. And those wines really pair well with seafood and particularly, you know, rat, you know, sweeter seafoods like crab meat, scallops, mm -hmm. you know, shrimp, that type of thing. But um, I always, I, I love Alsace. So I always try to go back to it. It's where my wine thing started. So I always go back to my roots, if that makes sense. And uh, what are your plans for the future? You know, do you, do you have any, you're selling real estate. Is that what's going on now? Yeah, yep. my wife and I are currently selling real estate. That's she fantastic. started a real estate company after we closed Azure. Right. Um, and my plans for the future are the same as they've been since I was six years old. Mm -hmm. uh, continue to live simply. Live your best life. Continue to start and uh, run small businesses. Okay, that's we're, fantastic. We're a few, a couple of new things now, but right. um, but real estate's the name of the game currently. It is at the moment. Yeah, there's just a small supply of real estate in the state of Maine, so. There's a. Hmm. It's actually historically low. I know. There's I usually know. about five to seven thousand houses up for sale in Maine for sure. seven hundred. I know, I know, and they're so. building them at lightning speed here in Portland and selling them for a million dollars each. It's crazy. Yeah, if you have a million bucks, it's easy to find a house. <laughs> I know, right? Well, what's happened since COVID is people have decided to live a little bit more mindfully, and that Maine has just on the map for so many different reasons. You know, we have the Lost Kitchen, we have Melissa Kelly up and. You know, Rockland, Rockland yeah. you know, we have the the spectacular, you know, restaurant scene in Portland, Maine. And so everybody wants to come and live here. So here you are. Oh, yeah. And it was considered trouble. one of the safest places during COVID. Absolutely. I mean, it still is. In a state where we live so far apart and nobody ever sees each other, how could you get COVID? It's right. It was, it was a no brainer. There was, I think, right. a 40% increase in the number of people from away trying to move here. Oh, yes. COVID. It's still happening. <laughs> They're still oh, coming. Yeah. <laughs> we'll yeah. see how long they come for, um, because I think that this economy might, you know, it might turn at some stage, but I don't think it's going to stop them coming here. So maybe that's a good thing for us here in Maine. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's it's good thing for they, your business. It, it's what I think is good for Maine. And the reason I came here is that it's Maine. Right. Um, and I think that a lot of people who are actually from Maine worry about people from away coming here and trying to make Maine more like the place where they came from. Right. Yeah. And I came here not wanting to change a thing, just wanting sure. to blend in yeah. and be part of it. Absolutely. And I mean, you've done, you've built an amazing life here too. You know, I find that 
I moved away. I moved away several times. Most recently, I lived in Los Angeles, and I remember going to Santa Monica Seafood and being like, "Oh my god, it's forty dollars a pound for scallops." And I normally buy my scallops from the Sheans, who live in Freeport, yeah. um, because they sell them for twenty dollars a pound, and they've just come off the boat and they leave a jar outside next to the cooler. <laughs> where my scallops are and I drop my 80 bucks in this thing and take my four pounds of scallops and off I go, you know, that type of thing. So we, we, t- I, I don't take for granted, but I think, you know, we, we are so blessed to live in a place that has such a spectacular seafood. And so it's all here at our fingertips. It's all right here at our doorstep. We're just very lucky. Anything you could ask for from the ocean and all you need to do is put your money in the, in the, in the jar. Yeah, exactly. That's how I buy my, uh, that's how I buy my oysters here. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's just the main way. And it's that trust too. It's like, yeah, you know, just put your money out there. It's not like somebody's going to be standing there watching you. So we're just going to keep it that way for as long as we can. (laughs) People cannot believe the way we live up here. That, that idea, I saw that uh, one of the first towns I went to when I came to Maine uh, when I was 15, uh, the first time in 1985 was Kennebunkport. Mm -hmm. And we drove into Kennebunkport and right downtown, there was a small parking lot. And in that, on that parking lot, there was a wooden box and it was a box that you put money in to park in the lot. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was an actual joke <laughs> that, that they would leave this wooden box yeah. there yeah. full of money. Sure. Uh, but this is, this is how we live. This is it. And this is why we love it. Okay. Well, listen, I, I just wanted to, you to pick out your song and tell me what your song is. Thank you for coming. I appreciate My- it. Pleasure to be yeah, here. Very good. And my song that I am absolutely loving is Shay's Lounge by Wet Leg. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And here we go. Have a great day. Thanks, Jonas. Thanks, Melanie. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Okay.